Well, as uh, we were saying at the beginning, we're starting a series in John's Gospel, so I'm going to invite you to come with me uh, into John's Gospel. And we're going to read from John chapter 1 this morning. So if you, uh, if you haven't a Bible with you and there's a pew Bible close to you, we'd love you to pick it up. We'd love you to open it with us as we come to page 1064 this morning, John's Gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then into John. And we're in John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at various encounters, uh, Jesus meeting with people and, and what that reveals about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to see Him. We want to be one-to-one with Him. And so this is what our, our series over the coming weeks is, is going to hope to do. So today we're going to look at the encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel. So John chapter 1 and verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us uh, this morning. I'm going to hand over to Nigel. Well, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to those passages, those verses that we read earlier, to John chapter 1, uh, 43 to 51. And uh, we're thinking about one-to-one with Jesus, Nathaniel. A um, number of years ago, I, I found myself uh, interviewing a, a number of people for things such as the accredited preacher course and for the ministry. And, and usually near the beginning of our time together, there would have been a question about uh, how the person became a Christian. Tell us a little bit about your Christian story. How did you become a Christian? Uh, how did you begin to follow Jesus? And very often those interview days would be long, they'd be tiring, but it was a huge privilege because just hearing those stories was just marvelous. And one of the things that struck me was that though there were very common elements, ultimately everybody came to, as it were, acknowledge Jesus as King and Lord, although there were these common elements, there was huge diversity. Some people grew up in Christian homes. A father or mother would have been reading the Bible with them every night, and and they just 
belief from their earliest days. Others had no Christian background, and, and they, they came uh, through a, a friend, uh, patiently witnessing to them in, in work, perhaps over maybe months or years. Uh, others just began to think, there's something missing, and I'm picking up a Bible, and they began to, to read it for themselves. Huge diversity of how uh, people found Jesus. Jesus walked off the pages of the Scriptures into their lives for some, and it just underlined for me how uh, detailed and particular the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. He knows us as individuals. He knows how we are wired and what experiences we have had, and He comes to us then in just the right way to, to break through our defenses sometimes and to help us see Him as the answer to our heart's cry. And today, as, as John said, we are uh, beginning this little series in John's gospel called One-to-One -One with Jesus because in this gospel there are recorded for us a, a number of encounters with Jesus uh, that different people have. They find themselves face-to-face -face with Him, people like the woman at the well, people like Nicodemus, and so on. And we're going to be seeing how the Lord Jesus deals with them in this incredibly personal and, and uh, particular way. And this morning, we are looking at this encounter with Nathaniel, maybe one that's not just so familiar to us. Many think that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, who appears in some other lists of disciples in the other Gospels. Now, we didn't read all of these uh, stories, but this comes at the end of a little section of John's gospel that tells us about Jesus getting his first disciples. Andrew and another unnamed disciple, maybe people think it's John, are, are initially disciples of John the Baptist, and they hear the John the Baptist say of Jesus, look, the Lamb of God, and they go to him. Andrew gets his brother, Simon Peter. Peter becomes a follower too. And then we read in verse 43 of Jesus going into Galilee and calling Philip, and Philip brings Nathaniel. So, so here we just see that, that all of these disciples, or most of them, are brought to Jesus through friendships. Still that way, of course. Uh, Christianity is becoming perhaps more marginal for many people. Lots of people grew up with, with very, very little experience of, of being in church. And as that happens within our society, this thought of, of friendship evangelism becomes more and more important. As, as, as we say to people, uh, come and see. I, I've, I found Jesus. Uh, come and see. Maybe even as we say that there are people uh, in your minds, uh, family members or neighbors or colleagues at work or friends, and, and you would just long for them to be able to come and see. And Philip found Nathaniel, and that's what he said to him. And, and through him, uh, Nathaniel becomes a disciple of Jesus. We're going to see how that happened today. We're just going to follow the story through with four uh, simple words that describe the, the, the stages in Nathaniel's journey. A skeptical, he starts off skeptical, he's dissatisfied, he's convinced, and then Jesus brings some clarity. There's clarification. So, so as we journey with, with Nathaniel, maybe uh, some of us will think, you know, I've just got friends who are just like that. And, and, and it would be, I'll begin to pray that, that they'll, they'll, they'll get to that next stage. Maybe some of us, if we're honest, will find ourselves at some of these points on Nathaniel's journey, and, and we'll, we trust and pray, get to the point where we are convinced 
by Jesus too. So first of all then, skeptical. Nathaniel is skeptical. Come and see is not the first thing that Philip says to Nathaniel. See verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip is actually saying the same as Andrew said to Peter back in verse 41, we have seen the Messiah, the long-awaited one that God had promised he would send into the world, and he identifies him as Jesus of Nazareth. But Philip comes back with a question. <clears throat> Nathaniel said to him, or Nathaniel said, he comes back to Philip with a question. Nathaniel said to him, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip is from Bethsaida, which seems to be pretty close to Nazareth. And Nathaniel is from Bethsaida, which is pretty close to Nazareth. But Philip certainly considered a, a Nazareth to be, or Nathaniel considered Nazareth to be, a place that was sort of a bit of a backwater, or, 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 or maybe a place with not a very good reputation, a small place that's 2,000 people, sort of size of Dollingstown or something, and maybe it did have a, a bit of a reputation. And Nathaniel says, surely the Messiah is not going to come out of a place like that. Of course, he had, had another little question as well, he probably knew his Old Testament pretty well, and he knew that the, the predicted place of the Messiah's birth was Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was a fair old way from Nazareth, and so he didn't know the, the, the Christmas story as we do, and how Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem and then went back to Nazareth and so on. And so this doesn't really make sense to him. How can this be? Nathan is a skeptic. He's just someone who who finds it hard to believe. He, he, he finds all sorts of questions just rise up in his mind. How can this be the, the Messiah? How can this Jesus be the answer to the one that we've been looking for? Some people have seen in Nathaniel a parallel with a sort of person today who, who dismisses Christianity as having any really valuable answers to the big questions of our day and generation. They, they will acknowledge that there are big questions, but they just say, well, Christianity is definitely not the answer. Answers could never be there. They, they, they sort of look down on it. And yet, they maybe have never really looked into it. They've, they've never really read the Bible as an adult, and they've never sat down with a Christian and, and said, what is it you believe? And, and we, we probably know people like that, people who are convinced that Christianity is, is make-believe or based on myths nothing to offer. But at the same time, if you were to ask them, so, so tell me, what is it you actually think a Christian is? Well, it would be pretty apparent that they don't really have much of a grasp of it. It might be worth asking a friend to tell you what they think Christianity is. It's quite a step, isn't it, to, to reject something that has so shaped our culture and our world indeed without really having any understanding of it. So, so, so Nathan, Nathaniel, sorry, is, is, a, is a, a skeptic. But that's not all there was to Nathaniel. Otherwise, we probably would never have heard of him. It also seems that he is dissatisfied. He's dissatisfied. Nathaniel had asked, can anything come, uh, good come out of uh, Nazareth? And Philip responds very honestly, but really quite well. He says, I, I don't really know the answer to that. But then he invites him to come. Come and see. I can't answer that question, but I am really convinced by Jesus. Come and have a look for yourself. And Nathaniel comes. 
Why do you think he, he comes? Well, it could be out of loyalty to his, his friend, Philip. It could be that Philip has been such a good friend to him that he thinks, well, if Philip is asking me, I, I really can't say no. I, I learned a little bit about Francis Schaeffer, and I found out that <clears throat> in Francis Schaeffer's early days, he was a, a student at college in America. He lived in a student accommodation, and uh, all his, uh, many of his student friends uh, drank very heavily on Saturday nights, and, and they would come home uh, to the accommodation steaming drunk, and, and uh, Schaeffer <clears throat> would help them uh, find their rooms, and he would get them to bed and make sure they were okay and so on. And I got to the stage where uh, they would just come to the bottom of the stairs, and they would shout up, Philly! because he was from Philadelphia, and that's what they called him. And uh, he would get up at whatever time it was, and he would get them sorted out and put them into bed. Why did he do that? Why was he such a good friend to them? Well, he had a deal with them. He said, now, I'll get you sorted out, and I'll make sure you're okay, and I'll get you into your room and get you into bed if you come to church with me the next day. And, and so that's what happened. Uh, every Saturday night, uh, Schaefer looked after all these pretty inebriated students, and the next morning, all these hungover students were sitting with him in church in the morning. They sort of owed him because he'd been such a good friend to them. And, and was Philip that sort of guy? Well, maybe, maybe he owed him. But, but maybe underneath it all, and I think this is more likely the case, there was some dissatisfaction that actually... Nathaniel hadn't found what he was looking for. And so he thinks, well, maybe, maybe this Jesus is the answer. It's speculation to some degree, but <clears throat> there's certainly something that drives him to engage with Jesus. We see that actually right through many of these stories. You know, Nicodemus comes at night. The woman at the well doesn't need to be told that things aren't going well for her. Dissatisfaction seems to be in many of these people, and it seems to be in Nathaniel too. Actually, we can probably be pretty sure of that to some degree because dissatisfaction is, is there with, with all people until they find satisfaction in Christ. We, we, we may deny it, but if we build our lives on something other than Jesus, then we find that none of those things were actually designed to take the weight of the hope that we place in them. So, so here's the thing. Only God can successfully take the role of God in your life. Only God can successfully take the role of God in your life. You think of the person, for example, who lives for their career. There, there are all sorts of things we could live for. We could live for family. We could live for, for money. We could live for a, a, a influence. But, you know, here, here's career. Somebody works for their career. They sacrifice for it. They gain great satisfaction for a time, perhaps, and sense of meaning, but ultimately, they know that because careers can be ruined and jobs can be lost, and one day we will retire, then all of these questions of meaning and influence and identity, they, they, they all go with that, don't they? And there's always that question on the way through, have I, have I really done enough? Could I have done more? You, you see, the things that we look to that function as God in our lives, well, if they're not the Lord's, they just can't bear the weight that we put on them. And that's true for whatever we build our lives on. Keller talks about this in his, his book, Counterfeit Gods. They, they just don't really work. And, and so, actually, you too, I'll give my age away here, we're, we're voicing a rare moment of honesty in our culture when they sang, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
because until we find Christ, then we haven't really found out what our hearts are crying for. Now, we, we, we might deny that. It might be hard for us to admit that. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of uh, having a navigational mishap while you're out driving. Maybe you're following a sat-nav. Uh, maybe you're just following your nose. You know how we sometimes like to do. You say, I don't really know where I'm am, I am, but I think, this, I think this road will bring me out pretty close to where I'm going. And then you start to follow that road and then the grass appears up the middle of the road. You know how that is, you know? And then the branches start to, to brush both of your wing mirrors. And, and, and I don't know about you, but there's something in me that says, well, I'm going to double down on this. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to push on through. Because turning around seems to be such an admission of defeat. It'll take me longer. It's going to take me out of my way. And sometimes admitting that we're on the wrong road without Jesus is the very last thing that we want to do. We just say, I'll keep going and I'll see where I come out. But Nathaniel looks as if he says, well, actually, maybe, maybe the road that I've been going along isn't the right road at all. Dissatisfaction. Thirdly, he becomes convinced. He sets off with Philip to find Jesus. And as he approaches, Jesus speaks to him in verse 47. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. It's a pretty positive assessment, actually. It's saying that Nathan, or Nathaniel, sorry, I keep calling him Nathan. Nathaniel is, is an honest guy. He's a say-it-as-you-see-it sort of guy. We're going to see that there's a reference to Jacob later on in this story. And, and Jacob, of course, originally started out as Israel, or sorry, Jacob started out as Jacob but became Israel. And he was also the one who was known as the deceiver. Remember, he deceived his brother over the birthright and all of these things. And one translator has this Behold, an Israelite in which there is no Jacob. It's interesting. I'm sure you've met someone or you've been talking to someone, and, and you, you think, well, they're, they're talking to me, but, but you, you suspect they have another agenda. They're not really being honest with you. They're, they're really being somewhat deceitful. And Nathaniel, it seems, was not like that. He was, a, he was an honest broker, and he seems to, to know that about himself or at least think that about himself because he says in verse 48, how do you know me? In other words, Jesus, you've got me. You, you, you've nailed me. You know exactly what I'm like. How, how do you know me? He's realizing that Jesus somehow has the measure of him. And Jesus then says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this phrase has intrigued people down through the years. What was Jesus referred to, referring to that happened under the fig tree? What was Philip doing? Was it some time of prayer, for example, when he was asking God to show him the Messiah? Was it, was it something else? We really don't know. It's an indication, by the way, of eyewitness testimony. It's not the sort of thing that you would make up because it's a loose end in the story. The only reason it's here is because it happened. But it indicates that Jesus has a super knowledge, supernatural knowledge of Nathaniel. He, he knows things about him that, in a sense, only God could know. And Nathaniel goes from being skeptical to being convinced. Nathaniel asked, answered him, verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
It's quite the transformation. He's now sure that Jesus is the Messiah. But, but of course, this is the case. Jesus knows us. He, he knows all about us. Do you remember the, the Old Testament story of, of Hagar? She's Abraham's concubine, Ishmael's mother. And, and she's on the run at one point for her safety. And, and, and uh, she, she, she meets with God and she says about God, the most beautiful thing, I have seen the one who sees me. I've seen the one who sees me. And sometimes part of your, your journey to faith in Christ, this may be some of our stories, part of our journey to faith in Christ involves that sense that we are absolutely known by the Lord, that we cannot hide. And, and, and usually such an uncovering of us would make us feel tremendously vulnerable but somehow not with Jesus. Because you see that Jesus knows Nathaniel really, really well. He knows him right through and through, and yet he treats him so well, doesn't he? And you see, this is how it is to be known by Jesus. You, you get to know the one who you realize knows you through and through, and yet loves you. Nobody else quite does that for us. I hope you know that about Jesus. He's the one who absolutely knows you, the good and the bad, and yet because he loves you, it's somehow okay. Some of us think that maybe he's going to spot something in us that he hasn't already seen or that we're going to do something that he doesn't already know about, but that's not the case. He won't turn away from you because he knows you through and through already, and he loves you. So we can be really confident of him. Now, undoubtedly, Nathaniel didn't see Jesus as clearly as he needed to. And Jesus says something to, to clarify what it's going to mean for him to follow him. So that's our, our last thing, uh, clarification. It doesn't just clar no, clarified. I knew it. I'd made it sound better. Cl clarified. F first of all, he makes it clear what trusting him is going to be like. He says, you see, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Heaven's opened, angels ascending on the Son of Man. Th that verse, verse 51, is a, a, a reference to an Old Testament story, a, a Jacob story. In Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream, and he sees a ladder connecting heaven and earth, angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And, and, and there is a connection, you see, between heaven and earth. God is breaking through. God is, 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 is saying he's, he's not distant and so on. He's coming near. And, and you notice what what Jesus says, he is the, the Son of Man, of course, and the angels of God are descending and ascending on, on him. So you think of what he's picturing here. You, you imagine it in your mind. Jesus is not at the bottom of the ladder. No, the angels are, are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, he is the ladder, you see. He is the, the bridge between heaven and earth, between God and man. 
So, so this is a really, really fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus. This is something we've got to show to our friends. We've got to be convinced of if we're trying to follow Jesus ourselves. It means trusting Him as the one who brings us to God, the one who makes us right with God, the one who gives us access to the Father. Later on in John's gospel, John will record Jesus as saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the, the verbal picture of, of what we just see here as Jesus being the ladder. And we need to know that this is a really mis, a common misconception of our friends. They think, so many people think, that the basic task of Christianity is to climb Jacob's ladder. Not helped by the fact that somebody wrote a song about it. Not helpful at all. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, every round going higher, higher. Don't sing that song. It's not true. That's the common idea. We need to do a good job with our lives to impress God, and we move up a rung, and Jesus is our example. He's standing at the bottom of the ladder saying, look, look, here's the ladder. Go for it. Live like me. But Jesus didn't say he was showing us the ladder or how to climb it. He is the ladder. He, 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 the very heart of Christianity is, is not saying to us, here's what you're to do. It's to say, trust in what Jesus has done. He's the ladder. He's the way. The other thing that Jesus clarifies here about what it's going to be like to follow him is that we've got to bow before him entirely. Tim Keller brings this out in how Jesus introduces this statement. Truly, truly, I say to you. If you've an authorized version, it'll say verily, verily. You might remember that. It's really the word amen. Amen, amen, I say to you. Now, you think of what amen means. We, we say it after a prayer or maybe after someone says something we agree with. And it really means I have... Listen to what you've said. I, I've measured up what you've said, and I agree with it. And that was the way it was used in Jesus' day, normally. But Jesus takes it, and he uses it in an entirely different way, a unique way. He doesn't use it to agree with what others have said. He uses it to introduce what he says. And he repeats it, amen, amen. And he's really claiming that what he is going to say to us when he says that is not coming to us in the form of some sort of advice or counsel. You know how it comes. Well, yes, I, I, I might take that on board. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll take note of that, and I'll, I'll maybe uh, bring that into my thinking. No, no, Jesus doesn't let us do that. He, he's not offering us advice. He comes to one. He comes to us as one of all authority. And so we either accept him entirely or we reject him. If we're going to accept him, it means that we hand over the reins of our lives entirely to him or not at all. We are saying to him, Lord, you're the one who says truly, truly. In other words, you're the one who has the right to tell me what to believe. You're the one who has the right to tell me what to do. You're the one who has the right to tell me how to live. You're the one who tells me what I should love and what I should hate. You're the one with all authority. In other words, Jesus, you are, you are Lord. And you see, this is really what Jesus is clarifying with Nathaniel. Jesus says to him, 
Nathaniel, you're right to say I'm the Messiah, but understand what that means. Understand that that means following me as Savior, I'm the latter, and as Lord, truly, truly, I say to you. The one who brings you to God and the one who is king of your life, there is no other way, you see. So if we're Christians, we do know, don't we? We do know that this is what we've signed up for. He is our Savior and Lord. We cannot have him if he's not. We don't have an a la carte Jesus, you know. You go into the restaurant and say, I'll have a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that, but, but don't give me any of that. We can't say that to Jesus. He's Savior and Lord. We must have them all. And, and if we're Christians, then this is what we're praying for our friends, isn't it? That, that, that they will be able to see that this is what following him involves. We, we don't want them to be influenced by Jesus. We want them to be saved and ruled by Jesus. Pray for that. And if we're not yet Christians, do you see what he, what he claims and what he asks? Nothing less will do. He really is the Savior of the world. So won't you trust him and bow before him?